Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we're your corpse chemists this week. For the longest time, the two traditional options for the disposal of human remains fell to burial or cremation. And as time progresses, needs and wants change, and things aren't so cookie-cutter anymore. Innovation breeds interesting outcomes, and today we're going to discuss some alternative options for the disposition of deceased that range from the scientific to the strange. (laughs) You guys have probably heard of all the quote-unquote common alternative dispositions that we are not going to talk about. So no, this is not going to be an episode on cremation alternatives, such as putting your cremains in a necklace, pressuring yourself into a diamond, getting blown into a glass orb, even made into a record, or put on varnish on a piece of furniture or instrument. There's also the alternatives that you might have heard of, including natural burial. This would include the famous, you know, cremations tree pod where you grow into a beautiful tree, green cemeteries, mushroom suits, and mushroom caskets, where the mushrooms will consume your corpse as you're put into the ground. There's also those cultural alternatives that we've all heard about, Viking funerals, death at sea, and the very cool Tibetan sky burial. You might have also heard of donating your body to science, or perhaps ending up at a body farm where researchers will research how your body decomposes. However, still, that's all old hat to us. Now, on the cutting edge of technology, some alternative dispositions are really worth talking about. And that's not to say that we're not going to cover some of these topics in future episodes, but... This is really where the hard-hitting science is, and this is what we're talking about today. Yeah, so we're really excited to show you guys some new things that you might not have heard of or that you've heard of and thought, really, like, how could that even be true? How does that even happen? Now, Red, I know you wanted to talk about something called body alkaline hydrolysis. Now, even in even as a death professional, I have never heard of this before. So with this topic, um, I had only heard about it in passing before, like, one time and never have been asked seriously by a family for this. But honestly, of all the things that we're going to talk about today, I think it might have the most viability to become something that you can eventually choose for yourself that's widely available. So alkaline hydrolysis, also known as uh, resumation, that's the fancy trademark term for something that a lot of you probably haven't heard about. It goes by many cool names such as water cremation, biocremation, and aquamation. This is one of the newfangled dispositions that relies heavily on neato-science to dispose of remains. It was originally developed to process animal carcasses back in 1888 by Amos Hobson. It wasn't until 2011 that alkaline hydrolysis was used in the funeral industry, and it started in Ohio and in Florida. There was even a huge court case about it. 
Alkaline hydrolysis has been made legal in 18 states, with many more working through legislation as we speak. So Red, what exactly is alkaline hydrolysis? So the process itself is actually pretty simple. The body's remains are placed into a mesh metal basket inside of a 100-gallon tank that is then topped off with water and about 4 to 5% potassium hydroxide, or lye. Uh, KOH, for the chemical term, is a very strong base and it's extremely caustic, something you don't want to get on live skin. Its other uses include electrolyte components in some batteries, tanning of animal hides, and in the manufacturing of soft soaps. The tank is then heated to around 300 to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. High pressure is used, which helps speed things up a bit more and prevents the boiling of the mixture. During this time, the decomposition of the soft tissues is set to super speed, leaving only bones behind. This decomposition is about the same that would happen naturally, it's just sped up super, super fast. The time it takes depends heavily on the pressure and the temperature used, as well as the total amount of fat on the body. But it can range anywhere from about 3 to even 16 hours. Oh wow, that's pretty fast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's pretty on par with cremation for the most part, where cremation takes around, what, like 3 to 4 or 5 hours, depending. Right, right. So at the end product, are you just like, are you kind of like a spooky skeleton, just like without all of your soft tissue on you? Or what happens to the bones? Right. Uh, What's left over after alkaline hydrolysis is this like sterile greenish brown liquid or soup (laughs) that's called effluent. Um, And all it is is broken down chemical building blocks uh, and some bone fragments. So the fragments themselves are actually soft enough to be crushed by hand, similar to cremation. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, a cremulator or or, uh, bone blender, like I like to call it. (laughs) is used then to um, dust them down into fine, fine ashes, which is given back to the family. So just the same as cremation, really. So this method of aquamation uh, actually produces more cremated remains than a cremation does. Um, So you need a lot larger urns than what would be standard on the market. The rest of that liquid I talked about earlier is then drained away into the sewer. So this isn't to say that parts of your loved one are just washed away down the drain. Everything disposed of with the wastewater is just simple organic compounds. And it's not to mention that when you're being embalmed, your blood goes down the drain the same too. So particles are released in the atmosphere during during cremation, it's kind of the circle of life. <laughs> That's very true. The effluent is also brought from a pH of 14 back down to 11 in accordance with local laws. So everything is actually really safe to dispose of in this way, just down the drain. This fluid is so high in nutrients, actually, that it's been used as a fertilizer. Really? Yeah. So it's actually a, a nice green option in its own way. I know. I was going to say, we're kind of going back to the good old tree pod. You yeah. Could, you know, <laughs> be nourishing a tree after you get alkaline hydrolysized. <laughs> right. But since this process can only break down protein-based materials, things like caskets and alternative containers are not needed. So things like silk, leather, and wool, very natural things are used to wrap the body to be placed inside of the container. Yeah, it actually sounds very similar to cremation. Is there a reason why it's not used as frequently as cremation is? So one of the reasons that it hasn't become mainstream yet. Um, Alkaline hydrolysis was actually proposed at the New York Catholic Conference, and the practice was condemned, claiming that this process doesn't even show respect enough for the remains. Are Um, you serious? Yeah, I know. It's like the same thing as cremation. (laughs) I guess Catholics don't really like cremation either. uh, Yeah, exactly. It took long enough for us to get uh, the okay from the Vatican on cremation, so I guess it's going to take probably just as long for this. But this option for many others has been sought after as a more eco-friendly method because it's got a lower consumption of electricity and fuel and smaller carbon footprint. 
The Cremation Association of North America, or CANA, uh, actually expanded their definition of cremation in 2010 to include alkaline hydrolysis, which is huge mm. to be mm-hmm. recognized by an uh, association like that. Upon a search to see where I can get signed up for this myself, uh, it mostly returned pet alkaline hydrolysis cremation. There's a lot less legal demands when it comes to cremating pets, so that kind of makes sense. It seems for people, uh, a three to eight hour drive for many funeral homes that are willing to work with one that provides alkaline hydrolysis is the normal. Cost is going to be more expensive than cremation, however. Um, Of course, since it's not widely available, the market doesn't offer it that much. That means that the price is going to be a little bit more. So you're looking at two to $3,500 for this. So it is a niche market right now, and it is going to take some time. As things get more popular, of course, prices tend to drop. So someday we might be able to see this at a local cremation storefront. Exactly. I was going to ask, Greg, just in case anyone's wondering, what's about the average price of a regular cremation? So um, this kind of ranges. Um, Typical, I've seen like at a funeral home, like a full-fledged funeral home, it's about $1,500 to $3,000. And then if it's like a storefront cremation, like low, 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 cheapest cost, that can be like six to $1,000 typically. I was going to say, I think the lowest price I've ever seen is $700, and that was like a come get your bodies cremated here, storefront kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. We'll whisk them away in the night. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely talk about those crazy guys in another episode. Definitely. Well, that's actually all really cool. I think it's really cool that there's a new technology coming out, especially including any sort of chemical research, um, that kind of like science-y sort of uh, disposition, way to dispose of your body um, is coming out in a lot of different facets of the death industry. I literally had no idea about alkaline hydrolysis, but it's kind of cool to see that that's like a a more eco-friendly, possibly a better solution than cremation has offered as an alternative. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's super cyberpunk 2020. I love how like... <laughs> I just love saying alkaline hydrolysis. Like, I think I've said it five times already. I know. <laughs> it's really, really awesome. So I'm, I'm mostly I'm mostly looking forward to this becoming an option in the near future. Keeping on our cyberpunk trend, I actually wanted to take a minute to talk about cryonics. Cryonics is basically freezing and preserving your body. And the most important part of cryonics is that there is a hope that one day you will be revived with the future advancement of medical technology. So that's basically cryonics. You're freezing your body in hopes for one day to be revived. Um, which I think just in general is such like a crazy sci-fi topic, but it's actually a real thing that you can actually do with your body if you died uh, today or tomorrow. I think a lot of people have become familiar with this idea due to the Walt Disney rumor. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has heard that somewhere in some secret vault down in the depths of Disneyland, Walt Disney's body is perfectly preserved in liquid nitrogen um, for his corpse to be reanimated one day again. This is actually not true. Apparently, after his death in 1966, Walt was interred at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California, which is a beautiful memorial park, by the way. That's unfortunate. I was really hoping that Disney was working on two types of animation, not just the one. (laughs) 
Honestly, though, that's exactly what someone would say if they didn't want people to know that Walt was <laughs> right. in a vaulted Disney somewhere. So I don't know, maybe in 2055, we're going to have some uh, special Disney movie premiere where we're mm-hmm. actually going to watch the reanimation of Walt. So there we go. <laughs> All joking aside, uh, Human Cryonics is based on the idea of immortality, which is just like a really cool and fun idea for me. I think this is like, after doing my research on cryonics, um, I'm actually very interested in this as well, to be honest. You know, you never know what medical technology is going to be like in the future. If you think about it, in earlier times, say the 1940s, people died of diseases that could be completely cured today. So it's really not that far off if you really think about it. And after researching the technology of cryonics, it's really a pretty simple process. So cryonics is also known as cryostasis, human cryogenesis, or cryopreservation. And so we're basically talking about the preservation of human life using liquid nitrogen. The origin stories of cryonics is actually extremely heartbreaking to me, and it's full, like, packed full of drama. Like, I'm about to unload some, like, uh, telenovela (laughs) stuff on you right now. So back in mortuary science school, I actually read a book called Freezing People is Not Easy by Bob Nelson. Bob Nelson is considered one of the pioneers of cryonics. He was the first president of the Cryonics Society of California. And so reading this book, like I said earlier, it's literally such a dramatic sort of like a telenovela style um, just adventure that this guy goes on to bring cryonics to the American public. The first human freezing under cryonics using controlled non-mortuary conditions was actually James Bedford in 1967. That is a long time ago for this to be happening. Like forever ago. And the coolest thing is, is that James Bedford is still frozen today. What? (laughs) Yeah, he's still in his little cryonics pod, like awaiting medical reanimation. It's insane. This is like a real person. Um, Actually, this happened on January 12th in 1967. And in the cryonics community, January 12th is considered Bedford Day because it was the first man was frozen. So happy Bedford Day, everyone, on January 12th. I can't believe that's over 50 years ago. Yeah. And so he was actually recently moved to a new container in 1991. And they said he looked perfectly fine. Maybe a little bit of surface damage, but really nothing to be concerned about. And though Bedford is considered the first successful human freezing, there were others before him that unfortunately ended in tragedy. Um, Others that really just didn't make sense. The first, first person to ever be cryogenically frozen was a woman in LA, but she had already been embalmed and she had been Mm. in cooler storage for a couple days. So, you know, there's really no hope of medical reanimation after you've been pumped full of embalming chemicals. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, denatured proteins don't make for good (laughs) reanimation. There are a handful of others frozen. At this time, all of this freezing was going on in one sole funeral home. And the funeral director was actually extremely uncomfortable with this happening (laughs) in his funeral home. He actually forced Bob Nelson and the California Cryonic Society to move these people to a different location. Um, This was a little bit of a tragedy. Um, There was some thawing involved. And I think there was just some irreversible damage that happened to these people. Mm. Um, So they ended up burying a couple of them. But James Bedford was actually still fine. And he still is today. 
They froze several more, including a girl of six years old, a boy of eight years old, and there were unfortunately signs of damage to these bodies as well. Mm. If you think about it, if you're, you know, if your little kid is dying of cancer and there's no cure back in 1967, you know, why wouldn't you as a parent try everything in your power to try to, you know, try to help try to preserve, um, try to look forward to the future, to new treatments. I think that these people that, you know, participated in the cryonics movement are totally relatable. And it's definitely a thing that I can see happening to anyone um, experiencing death. Oh, definitely. I still, I think any parent today, even if that was an option, they would put their kid in a tube and hope for the best in coming years. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of these unfortunate circumstances and because of the lack of research you know bob nelson was not a scientist he was not a trained professional um but he was so impassioned by the idea of cryonics he just wanted to be a pioneer and he wanted to start making this happen my heart really feels for him to be honest and unfortunately some people didn't really feel the same way he was painted as a liar a cheater Mm. even a mass murderer by some people in cryonics his facility was considered a disaster and to be fair like i said before nelson was not a scientist he was not a researcher he was just a guy that really believed in the cryonics movement and he really wanted to help people he believed that freezing a six-year-old girl could save her life in the future he truly believed that freezing um, james bedford could reanimate him in the future and he really believed in the teachings of robert eddinger Now, Robert Ettinger is considered the founder of modern human cryonics. He is the father of cryonics. So back in 1976, he founded a nonprofit called the Cryonics Institute. Um, He wrote the book called The Prospect of Immortality, which I have not read yet, but it's on my list. So anyways, he founded the Cryonics Institute. Now, this is a more streamlined, science-involved, research-heavy institute. This is where modern cryonics has come from. So you can actually go online. The Cryonics Institute still exists today. It's a non-for-profit located in Michigan, and they actually have about over 100 patients that are frozen at their facility oh, wow. today awaiting reanimation and it's actually a really cool setup so it's a not-for-profit they only have one paid staff member Um, they have an emergency care team so if you are awaiting to be frozen and you die overseas they have the means and the ways to go get your body and get you frozen in time to bring you back and take care of you i know a common question is how much how much money is it going to take for someone to freeze you and keep you frozen for forever or as long as it takes, you know? It's got to be pricey, I would think. That's what you would think. The actual cost of freezing is only $8,000. That's today, what? by today's standards. <laughs> that is as expensive as a funeral. Like, that's easy, easy decision. <laughs> exactly. There are lifetime membership fees, though, and this is what oh, this is where it you. really starts <laughs> to stack up, because what you have to think about is lifetime preservation. You have to think about any sort of tragedy that might happen in the future that you need to prepare for. The Cryonics Institute is actually probably one of the cheapest options out there. And uh, while still maintaining a pretty good quality, their cheapest option is twenty eight thousand dollars 
for a lifetime member. Um, lifetime membership costs $120 a month. So you can see it starts to add up there. But they even say right on their website, you can go read it for yourself. It actually takes about $8,000 to freeze you. And then uh, 20000 of that goes into care investments. So this would be like liquid nitrogen, like maintenance, um, any future advancements in technology, stuff like this. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen this meme going around, but I saw a meme on Twitter that there's a facility in Scottsdale, Arizona that will freeze you for $200,000. Hmm. That is a significant increase from the 28000 we just talked about. And this is actually true. There is a facility in Scottsdale, Arizona that a lot of people, including a famous baseball player, Ted Williams, are currently frozen at. And it does cost $200,000. It's it, The only difference is that their future care investment is the, the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that it does not take to freeze you. So essentially, are they more like the Ritz-Carlton of, <laughs> of cryogenic storage? <laughs> I would say so. I would just say they maybe have a little more room for error, a little more, a little more cushion when it comes to investments and... Um, how much it actually costs to get frozen there. But they do have a cost-effective neuro option uh, for only $80,000. Oh, just take the brain out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they will freeze your head, um, including your brain, for $80,000. And sort of like a weird Futurama sort of hope <laughs> that maybe one day your brain can be preserved and you can be plugged into a cyborg or something like this. Yeah, put the brain in the robot. <laughs> exactly. And this all sounds very, like, goofy and sci-fi but if you actually sit down and think about this like this is all like extremely i think palatable and extremely possible um maybe in the future there are going to be cyborgs that you can just like plug a human brain into because honestly if you freeze your brain correctly there's you can really save the integrity of the brain when you die it's not instant it's not life and death. It's not, you're dead forever. There's no hopes of reanimating you, no hopes of getting you back. If you think about it, people, you know, quote unquote, die having a heart attack, having a stroke, but they're brought to life, you know, after 30, 40 minutes of a life-saving resuscitation. So if you're thinking about freezing a body as, you know, minutes, literally minutes after you die, you know, why wouldn't there be a possibility for you to be resuscitated under more advanced technology in the future if your body hasn't really degraded that much? So the rapid freezing of your body in liquid nitrogen requires cryoprotectants. This is because when you freeze a body, the cells in your body are all composed of a lot of water. So when water freezes, it expands and it cracks. So the cells in your body are literally expanding and cracking. Something that modern cryonics has kind of done, and this can also be seen uh, used for reproductive um, fertility reasons, is vitrification. So this prevents crystallization, and it's a very, very, very rapid descent into subfreezing temperatures. They say they can freeze a body as fast as mega kelvins per second. Kelvins is like a very scientific word, so I'm sure that means a really big number of degrees <laughs> per second. Um, but vitrification was actually possible in the early 2000s, um, and they've done research and experiments as to where they have vitrified a rabbit kidney to negative 135 degrees Celsius. This kidney was then rewarmed and transplanted successfully into a living rabbit and was able to sustain the rabbit as a sole functioning kidney. Okay, but which I'm, is I'm sorry. Crazy. That that 
the thought of a rabbit surgeon is just too cute. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I love that you're about that, but like this is this is literally some sci-fi stuff that is happening today. Well, in the early 2000s, it's insane. I think it's so cool. This is really really good news for human cryonics. The first human application of vitrification was in August of 2005 on the Cryonics Institute patient number 69. They perform a vascular watchout, which is a really nice, um, I think Red called it a value term, <laughs> which basically means that you just clear the blood out of the body and you put in other chemicals, other cryoprotectants that will protect the body. The body is then cooled by a computer-controlled cooling box, another good value term there, and then stored in a cryostat or a vacuum chamber maintained once a week by electricity. So I think what a lot of people say is, oh, what if the electricity goes out? Like, what if something happens? It's actually because it's a vacuum steel chamber, you're going to be frozen for quite some time um, before there's any damaging effects if the electricity does go out. Um, so like I said, you can go onto the Cryonics Institute website and they have so much more information than what I'm giving you right now. I'm just giving you the basics and what I think is cool, but they literally have a list of chemicals that they use to preserve the bodies. So you can really go and check out the science there. Um, there's also an interview with Robert Ettinger's son, and he is very, very adamant about his opinion on cryonics and he's like totally about it. I think it's so cool that it's like basically a family business at this point. <laughs> and he actually says that Robert Ettinger himself is preserved at the Cryonics Institute. He died when he was 92 years old in 2011 and he's still preserved there today. That's so cool. I thought a really cool thing that Robert's son, David, also said was that death nowadays is a state in which you cannot be revived. He he actually said this, quote unquote, he said death is when the doctor decides to give up. So I think he has a lot of really interesting things to say about the future of technology and where medical technology could go and what that means for people that can be cryonically frozen and might possibly be reanimated um, in the future at some year far, far in the future, maybe even sometime soon. Um, so I just think that crowd is so, so, so cool. And I just wanted to share that with you guys, but definitely check it out for yourselves. Cause honestly, I did not think that that was a viable option. I just thought that was all sci-fi fantasy stuff until I started researching this topic. Yeah, that is really interesting, especially, I mean, next to time travel, I feel like cryonics is like the thing, the theme you see the most in sci-fi movies next to that, that yeah, like maybe this is a reality sooner rather than later. Yeah. So maybe one day we'll all get to meet James Bedford one day. Hopefully. Well, along the lines, sticking with the sub-zero temperatures, there is another alternative disposition that deals in the negative degrees. Promesion, also known as freeze-drying and shaking, another method of disposition that hasn't quite taken off yet, but I definitely think it's worth talking about. That kind of sounds like maybe a cryonics thing that went wrong at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically like, oh gosh, how can we recover from this? Uh, new disposition. <laughs> So this process was developed by a Swedish biologist, and her name is Suzanne, and I'm not going to butcher this, Wiegmasek. Hmm. Susan Wiegmasek. All right. Who wanted to create a more eco-friendly option for people after they pass. 
So the human remains are placed into a chamber where liquid nitrogen is applied at negative 196 degrees and it crystallizes the body. So very similar to cryotics, but with this, it's actually meant to crystallize the body. They want it to be able to completely allow all of the water molecules to expand and create those crystals. Um, and once the corpse crystallizes, it's vibrated into tiny particles, um, basically breaks apart into a bunch of tiny, tiny pieces. And then those little remains are freeze-dried in a vacuum chamber that removes all of the moisture from the parts. Uh, any metals and other amalgam are separated out into what's called the promains. And that's about 30% of the original weight of um, the shaken apart pieces. Hmm. These pieces are then placed into a biodegradable container that can continue to decompose into compost within about a year. This fertilizer would be highly nutritious to plants and would be perfect for tree burials and garden plots. So along the same lines of green burial topics we were mentioning before. So the company touts this as one of the most dignified forms of alternative disposition because water molecules are the only things that are being removed from the remains. Everything that's left over is just that person in freeze-dried form. Hmm. I guess that's technically true. That does kind Kind of sound like the best coffee in the city kind of slogan though you know what i'm talking about yeah, it does. <laughs> our disposition is the most pure disposition <laughs> our dispositions should speak for themselves <laughs> but unfortunately her company was liquidated back in 2015 and um it had never had a fully functional facility come to fruition and no patents were even made on the idea Hmm. Um, I found this info on the Green Burial Council website and a Wikipedia page, but there's no sources for any of this that I could find. So the company's website's actually still up and running and it got a new copyright as of 2020. So if this is something that you're interested in advocating for and becoming something in the future that we can go into, I would definitely check out promessa.se. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-S-A dot S-E. And you can go short them support on there. Show them that that's something that you want. Now that you've made your final plans, with our help, you're welcome. You're ready to embrace death, right? But what about all that awesome, meaningful art you paid so much money for during your incredibly rich lifetime? I'm not talking about your Roscoe or Banksy prints. I'm talking about tattoos. And it's no lie that now a vast majority of the population has a couple of these living art pieces. And yes, technically they are a part of you. Um, me and Red both have tattoos, so we're very familiar with these guys. Very familiar. As the ink of the tattoos gets injected into your skin, some of your very own little cells, called your dermal macrophages, actually eat up the tattoo ink, and they keep it in tiny little pouches in their body, and the Aww. ink stains their little body. So, <laughs> so these macrophages are actually part of your immune system. As they continue to take care of you, um, they will represent your tattoo on your skin. So when you die, that's it. Your tattoos go with you. Your dermal macrophages are done doing their jobs. Or you could frame them as a tasteful art piece for generations to come. Wild. <laughs> There's actually a company called Save My Ink Forever. Um, you can check out savemyink.tattoo. And this company will have your skin removed at the funeral home, and they will preserve it, much like leathering, and frame it behind UV protective glass. And it actually kind of looks like an, uh, just a regular art piece that you can that your family members can hang up in their home or hang above the mantel place. So it doesn't fade at all through no, the process? They, uh, I, 
I was looking at pictures and honestly, they looked great. I think they might do some touch-ups to be honest, um, just to make it look, you know, better. Um, but they frame it behind UV protective glass and I, I think it'll last for forever, really. That is so cool. I absolutely need that done, but it kind of gets to a weird point, I think, after your entire body is tattooed having a skin suit on your wall (laughs) yeah i actually that's funny you say that because i remember on their website there's a picture of like um someone had like this giant like back piece and it's literally just a whole back skin like framed in a frame and you know because i know what that is i'm like oh god that's kind of gross but like (laughs) if you don't know what it is i mean it's kind of cool right and you know some people are really really passionate about their tattoos and you know tattoos are an identifying marker of you know your loved one and um people get tattoos for meaningful moments in their life um i can understand why people want to preserve that as like a reminder or a memorum of their deceased loved one. Um, So actually, this can be done at any funeral home. As long as your funeral home is willing to comply, I can see how this can be an issue. But basically, the Save My Ink Forever team sends the funeral home a kit. They ask them to remove the layer of skin, which is actually very, very easy to remove the first layer of skin where the tattoo is. The company needs to be contacted within 48 to 72 hours of death. And the funeral home sends them the skin and they get it all wrapped up and ready for you and they send it to your home. It's a very, very easy process, it sounds like. Yeah, like a little too easy. Imagine imagine being the USPS worker that accidentally like knocks a package over and it falls open and it's that. Like <laughs> <laughs> Someone's tattooed dried skin. Ew. Oh, man. I don't think that I would get any of my tattoos framed forever, but I can see why this would be a very enticing thing for other people to do. I'd actually be very interested to see if any of our listeners have some tattoos that they might want preserved or any of these other options that we've presented. If they sound interesting to you, we would be very, very keen on hearing what things you guys might want for the future because obviously that helps us advocate for them too in this death care industry we're in. I know. I'm actually eyeing cryonics pretty hard right now. That sounds pretty cool. I think I would love to be a sci-fi cyborg in the future. Oh, totally. And yeah, I would... (laughs) (laughs) And I'm totally thinking of uh, aqua cremation for myself and my family. That just sounds really cool. And I'm pretty keen on the green, so... Exactly. So thanks for listening this week. Like Red said, if you guys have any questions about anything we talked about, we mentioned a couple fun things in the beginning that we're definitely going to have an episode on in the future. And definitely check out those websites that we mentioned because this stuff is really, really cool. We just did not have time to talk about everything that we wanted to talk about. So check out their websites and then check out ours. Check us out on Podbean and all of our other socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear you guys and all of your feedback. So please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you guys use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to thank our friend Markson for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out more of his music at his band camp. That's Marson, M-A-R-S-O-N music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marson. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike for the week. Bye. Bye.